0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus, winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. More so in little preaching mode here this morning than I am teaching mode today. Since we just have one service, thought that would be all right. Uh, And if not, it's going to be all right. (laughs) Amen. Genesis chapter number 26 this morning. And we'll look at the word of the Lord, read a few verses of scripture. Amen here today. Genesis 26, going to start with verse number 23. Verse number 23. The he here in scripture to give you an idea who we're talking about. We're speaking about Isaac right here. And he went up from thence to Beersheba and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply by seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. Just one more time, verse 25, to see what he did there. And he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants digged a well. For a little while this morning, I want to minister this the art of giving up. The art of giving up. Amen. Can we go to the Lord in prayer one more time? We need his help here this morning. Father, I love you, Jesus, today. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity on this 4th July, well, Lord, weekend. God, to enter into a house of worship, to sing songs of praise. God, to be able to exercise my religious freedoms, oh, Lord Jesus, here today. I'm grateful, Lord, for that. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today touch our minds and our hearts. Let the word of God find this, Lord Jesus, today. Lord, encourage instruct. Lord, rebuke, reprove Lord with all long-suffering and doctrine. Your word is faithful, Lord, for all those manners and all those things, God, that it can accomplish in our lives. God, we give ourselves to it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen of the church. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. Throughout the Old Testament there are the reoccurring references to the patriarchs Of Israel or the men of Israel and their families that had much influence upon the nation of Israel. Often whenever we read about them, the Bible lists them in order like this, that there was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Anybody here this morning that has ever read their Bible has come across that phrase on more than one occasion, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, When we consider father Abraham as he is also all times called Abraham is a larger than life personality. He is the father of the Jewish people. The nation of Israel in many regards finds its origin in Father Abraham. His sensitivity to God's voice when he was dwelling in Ur of Chaldees, his sensitivity to hear the voice of God, and more importantly, to obey the voice of God, set the stage for the birthing of the nation of Israel. And then we have the last of the three. There is Jacob. His alternative name in Scripture is Israel. He's known as Jacob, and he is also known as Israel. His name is the label for the whole nation that God had chosen. His 12 sons that would come from his loins represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Between these two stately figures of both Abraham and Jacob is the figure Isaac, Scholars color Isaac as a more passive figure than Abraham, a more bashful in the recesses, if you will, than Jacob among the patriarchs. According to the history of God's word, Isaac traveled less than both Abraham and Jacob. He has no remarkable achievement that is ascribed to his name unless you count his surrender on Mount Moriah under the hand of his father. Isaac in Scripture, in many regards, is an unassuming character. He is the first Jew born a Jew. He's the first boy to be circumcised at eight days old. Isaac lived the longest of any of the three patriarchs, but the least is recorded about him he is and he lived his entire life in the land of Canaan. He is the only patriarch among the three who farmed the land at Canaan where he lived. History tells us and is filled with what historians call the wandering Jew or the nomadic Jew. They were constantly in a a journey and in a flux of pitching their tent and pulling up stakes and going from here to there. Many of them having time spent in Canaan, but also time spent on the opposite or outside of the land of Canaan. And yet, when we look at Isaac, by and large, Isaac didn't need to wander outside the land of Canaan. As a matter of fact, whenever we consider Isaac in in relationship to the other patriarchs, Isaac only had one wife he, we don't read of him taking any of his handmaidens, we don't read of him having any concubines during the stint of his life, even whenever his wife was barren, none of that took place, the Bible records that Isaac prayed over the womb of his wife Rebekah, and the Lord opened it and she conceived, Isaac never had his name changed like Abram or like Jacob, Abram's name was changed to Abraham, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, but Isaac was named Isaac and he never had a name change. That was always his name. The name that God gave him from the beginning is the name that he retained for the rest of his life. At that moment, God assured Abraham that he would bless Ishmael and that he would make a covenant with With Isaac, Ishmael was the son of Hagar that Abraham had with his handmaiden. And God told Abraham, he said, I will, I will bless Ishmael, but I will make my covenant with your son, Isaac. And so when it comes to Isaac in scripture, in your Bibles there's really not much mentioned about isaac he doesn't demand the same amount of attention that abraham does he he doesn't get the same limelight if you will that jacob does he is bound? His the highlight of Isaac's life, if you want to call it that, is that he's bound on an altar by his father Abraham. And then later, the scripture records when he is an old man and his eyes are dimmed Before his two sons Esau and Jacob, he disperses some blessings and seems as though he is deceived. Material about Isaac is lacking between both Abraham and. Jacob. As a matter of fact, the longest chapter, Genesis 24, the longest chapter of Genesis, is just filled with information about a servant getting a bride for Isaac. The only other chapter with any breadcrumbs of information for you and I to learn about Isaac's life is found right here in Genesis 26 in our text. And our greatest takeaway that we have concerning Isaac's life is the place that God appeared and spoke to Isaac. It's in this location, the Bible says, when God came down and he appeared before Isaac and Isaac was, was experiencing the presence of God and hearing God speak that this was the response of Isaac to the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that he built an altar there and that he pitched his tent there and that he dug a well there We call him, again, the passive patriarch, and we attribute no great accomplishment to his life. But I dare to say this morning that the building of his altar and the pitching of his tent and the digging of his well where God's presence was and where God spoke are of some greater importance than some of the more notable exploits of both Abraham and Abraham and Jacob because Isaac understood the significance of centering his worship and centering his home and centering his work around the presence and the interaction of God because that's really what his altar and his tent and his well equates to his altar equates to his worship his tent equates to his family and his home and his well it equates to his work and he centered all of those things around the presence of the Lord. We need to realize that Isaac stationed his altar where God appeared and where God spoke to him. I think that's vital for us this morning to understand. But in doing so, it is also important that he did not just put his altar where God's presence was. He didn't just put his altar there where God spoke to him. But the Bible says that was also the place that he placed his tent and he had his servants dig a well. What do you say? this morning, Brother McGee, I'm saying this. Too many times we are building altars where God shows up and where he speaks, but we're leaving our homes. We're leaving our homes and our working environments untouched and uninfluenced by the spirit and the voice of the Lord. It makes sense this morning. I guarantee you it does. It makes sense to worship And it makes sense to pray where the presence of the Lord is. But equally as important and equally as necessary to our lives is to live where his presence is and to work, if you will, where his presence is. Because when your home life is separated from your altar, it becomes a place you visit rather than a place you live. His altar is where his tent was. His work was where his altar was. All of this is where God's presence was. Whenever he went to work, he was not far from his altar. When he dug his well, he wasn't far from his altar. When he was at home, he was not far from his altar. None of these aspects of Jacob's or of Isaac's life was far from the presence of the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 15, this is the story of Mizpah. And what follows the victorious, the victorious, how victorious they were at Mizpah. This is the story of what takes place there. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 7 and verse 15, we've had this great miracle take place at Mizpah. And the Bible says, and Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Verse 16, and he went from year to year in circuit from Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah. And judged Israel in all those places. Samuel was the judge of Israel. That was his occupation. That was his work. He went about on a circuit. He went from city to city, from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, all these different places he would go, and he would present himself, and he would judge matters that needed to be judged. And the Bible says, of course, though whenever he would return finally home after going to these different cities, he would return home to Ramah when he was finished. And so as he went to these locations... He did his work as a judge and he was very good at it. And at Mizpah, in particular, the Bible says, at one of these places where he judged, the Bible says that he offered offerings and he cried or he prayed unto the Lord. He offered offerings. That meant that necessitated an altar. He offered offerings unto the Lord at Mizpah. He cried unto the Lord. He prayed unto the Lord at Mizpah. And the Bible says that God thundered. Many times, Samuel in his route and in his circuit he has done this he has built altars at Bethel and at Gilgal and at Mizpah he's cried unto the Lord at these various places he's offered up sacrifices unto God but note verse number 17 of 1 Samuel 7 the Bible says and his return was to Ramah for there was his house and there he judged Israel and there he built an altar unto the Lord after doing his duties at all these different cities and places the scripture wants to denote for us that he would return to Ramah where his house was and where he also judged he did work there as well and where he also built his altar at home at Ramah in other words for Samuel besides building altars and working at all these various locations that he did and judging and working at these different locations that he did regularly. The Bible says he also built an altar at Ramah at home and he worked and he judged there. What are you saying? I'm saying this this morning and we are in the the middle of summertime. There are camp meetings going on all across the United States. I just came back from a conference just yesterday. There are conferences taking place. I've said this to say this. We need not let the only place we build our altars and put our effort to work at the conferences and the camp meetings and the special services, uh, so on and so forth. Someone needs to have the spirit of Isaac and the spirit of Samuel that says I'm going to center every component of my everyday life around his presence and allow it to be tethered to his presence I understand I love camp meetings about ready uh, next Sunday I'll be driving to Louisiana going to do a couple camp meetings back to back I love camp meetings and I love the atmosphere and they are special occasions and there are special environments but I know our spirits of expectancy are very high when we enter those type of But I'm here to say today that God can show up in the land that you farm and work. God can show up right here at 01121 Cedar Street in Mount Carmel where you farm and work day in and day day out. We don't have to be a wandering Jew. There's no need to be a nomadic Jew. His voice and his presence is here as well. And I want to center my life around it. I'm going to plant my family close to it. I'm going to dig right in here until I strike water. Amen. I can experience the presence, the power. Amen. Sacrifice an altar of God right here. And so Samuel and Isaac showcase for us a practice that we must either live where we build our altars or we must build our altars where we live. We We must live where we build our altars or we must build our altars where we live. Dr. Bilderwolf, he relates the story. So the story was told of a little Japanese girl who studied at an American college, and she spent a Christmas vacation in the home of one of her classmates, an American. She had seen much in America, but the thing that she longed for most, and imagine this, was to see the inside of a Christian home. That's something that she desired of being Japanese. She wanted to see the inside of a Christian home. And such a home, this one was known to be that she was visiting. And so she had a delightful time while she was there. And she was about to leave at the end of her vacation time. And the, the mother said, how do you like the way that the American folks live? Oh, she said, I love it. Your home is beautiful, but there's one thing I miss, said the girl with a faraway look in her eyes. It is this that makes your home seem different to me or not as it should be to me. You know, I have been with you to your church and I have seen you worship your God there, but I have missed the God in your home." You know, in Japan, we have a God shelf in every home with gods right there in the house. Do not Americans worship their God in their homes? Isaac had it down. He said, I'm going to have my altar I'm going to have my home. I'm going to have my occupation. I'm going to have every th- component centered around where I heard the voice of God and where I experienced the presence of God. It really doesn't do us very well to only come to this place in worship. There needs to be worship in the home. It really doesn't do us very well only to come here and serve and not serve him at the place of our occupation and our employment. It really doesn't do us well to not have built our altar, our homes, and our work centered around the presence of and the voice of the Lord. We only have a record of Isaac building one altar in his life. And yet, ironically, it is like the first recorded altar built by his father, Abraham. Isaac wasn't alive when Abraham built that first altar, yet the pattern of Isaac's altar and what took place is very similar to the pattern of his father's altar. The Bible says in Genesis 12 and verse number 7, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. No, the Lord has appeared. There builded he, that Abraham, he builded then, an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. God appeared unto him. Abraham says, This is where I want my altar of sacrifice to be. This is where I want my altar of worship to be, where God appeared unto me. Isaac's greatest familiarity with an altar would be the one that he was laid on as a sacrifice atop Mount Moriah. You've heard the preaching. Allow me to reiterate. Isaac was, according to scholars, he was somewhere around the age of 30, Seven years old when his father took him up Mount Moriah and laid him there to be sacrificed. Abraham then was around 137 years old. Brother Trout, do you think that 37-year-old man could have taken that 137-year-old man? Do you think if that 37-year-old man wanted to put up a fight and not lay down on that altar, he could have taken a 137-year-old man? But the Bible does not describe that he fought back It doesn't describe that he refused being bound, amen, by his father. The Bible describes that he surrendered to what was taking place right there in that moment. As a matter of fact, there are some old, old Jewish commentaries, commentaries that, that the Jews would read along with the scriptures that are hundreds and thousands really of years old that have been passed on through oral tradition. And Bereshi's rabbi says this, that Yitzhak, which is, which is Isaac, said this to his father as. He was laying on that altar. Bind me tightly, Father, unless I tremble. Perhaps Isaac even knew in that moment in time the battle of the human nature not wanting to surrender. Amen. Unto the Lord. I'll say this this morning with that in regard. We have difficulty denying altars we've already surrendered ourselves to. We have difficulty refusing altars we've already surrendered ourselves to. What are you saying this morning, Pastor? I'm saying this. The word surrender means to relinquish or to give something up. Isaac gave himself up somewhere a long time in his past at 37 years old. So it was no problem for him in Canaan at this time of Beersheba when the presence of the Lord came down and hearing the voice of God. It was no problem for him just to throw up his hands and say this is where I'm going to build my altar. This is where I'm going to pitch my tent. This is where we're Going to dig a well right here. How can you do that, Isaac? Because a long time ago I gave up and I've not taken back control yet. I am still surrendered to the presence, the power, the majesty, and the might of God. Folks, your life has no problem lining up with the Lord if you hold on to your first surrender and just give up. Just give up. Was it difficult for him? Listen, it wasn't difficult for him to pitch his tent there and, and if you will surrender his family to the presence of God because he had a long time ago. Was it no difficulty for him to surrender his work to the presence of God? Because he had a long time ago. And listen, I'm not I'm not gonna be ignorant today and stand up here and say, Well, you know, it's easy. It's not always easy to surrender. But I will say it is essential to surrender. We will not give up our families and other components of our lives where we're not willing to give ourselves up. We'll deny those altars. We'll deny those environments for our tents and for our wells when we hold a pattern of non-surrender in our own spirits. But we need to learn the art of giving up. This reminds me of the, the vision that Ezekiel had in Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel had a vision. Much of what goes on in Ezekiel in many regards is, is a vision. But the Bible says that the angel of the Lord had brought the prophet Ezekiel back to the door of the house of the Lord. They had been there before, but now the angel of the Lord is taking him back to the house of the Lord. And the Bible says that Ezekiel saw some waters that were issuing out from under the threshold that was there. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord took Ezekiel by the hand and took him out and measured a thousand cubits and brought him through the waters. And Ezekiel said, the water was ankle deep on me. He says, the angel of the Lord measured another 1,000 cubits and took me further out into the water, and then the water was knee-deep upon me. He said, the angel of the Lord, yeah, there's a pattern here, measured another 1,000 cubits, and it took me out, and then the water was at my loins, or it was at my hips. It was hip dip. Deep on me. He said, then the angel of the Lord, you guessed it, took him out another thousand cubits and brought him through the waters. And then Ezekiel said, I was in waters to swim in. Now, I'll tell you this morning, I am not the best swimmer, but I do know this, that in order for this thing called swimming to take place, I know you got to lift your feet up. You got to stop touching the bottom to swim effectively. You got to relax you got to surrender your body to the water because it's hard to make any headway swimming in the water if you're stiff, if you're rigid, if you don't trust the water that you're in. You won't swim. This is very elementary, but you will not swim in waters you're not surrendered to. Each time the angel led Ezekiel through the waters at a distance further than where he entered the waters. And every place that he took him was a little deeper than the place he was at before. He led him, eventually, he led him to a place of total surrender. He led him to a place of waters to swim in, one of North America's top swim expert says this. He says the reality is you can't beat the water, so what you have to do is use the water to work for you, or at least don't fight against it. Against it, People's most, the greatest answer to people's fear amen, of swimming is, is the fact that they don't want to get into the water. They don't want to engage with the water, but you don't beat the water with that type of mentality. If you ignore the water, you'll never beat the water. The water's not against you. Without the water, you cannot swim. You must relax. You must make the water work for you. Can I say this morning, most never beat the altar. They ignore the altar. However, we cannot make the altar work. Amen. If not by fighting it, we gotta surrender to it. We gotta give ourselves over to it. Our families being a part of that presence uh, will never happen by fighting. It's association with it. Our work... uh, Amen. advancing anywhere in the kingdom will not do it by ignoring the fact that it needs to be associated with it. We got to learn to give up our families, give up our worship, give up our work, amen, to the presence and the power of the Lord. We must learn the art of giving up. We can't fight it. We can't ignore it. But I wish somebody today would just surrender unto it. Please understand that the first thing that Isaac did was build... An altar, and the Bible says, and he called on the name of the Lord. That's an expression that refers to worship through prayer, through sacrifice. He called upon the name of the Lord. His dad Abraham had done this many times, and now Isaac is doing this in his lifetime. Isaac is essential. He's an essential link between Abraham and Jacob. They say classic second generations of any movement or society are transmitters and stabilizers of the movement, of the society. That's Isaac. Without Isaac, you don't have a Jacob. Isaac is the connection for the nation Of Israel call him passive. Many do shy and bashful. Maybe so call him unaccomplished. Or even if you want to. He's just a boring character in the Bible. Maybe, but he built altars, pitched his tent and dug his well where God spoke and where God appeared. And he continued the practice of his father before him. The Bible says in Genesis 26 and verse number 18. And Isaac did again. The wells of water, which they had digged in the days of Abraham, his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names which his father had called them. He just dug again the wells that his father had dug. He pitches an altar where God appeared. Abraham had pitched his altar where God had appeared. And so there are people that are reaching for the stars, so to speak, when really what we need to do is just fall in love with surrendering to the known, the altars, the presence of the Lord. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, your descendants are going to be as the stars of the sky, all because there were men who knew how to surrender to altars of earth. That encompassed their family, that encompassed their work, that encompassed their life. God will do this, the Bible says in our text. God will do this thing for Isaac because the scripture says, Abraham obeyed the voice of the Lord and kept his charge. He says, Isaac, everything that I'm doing for you today, I'm doing it for Abraham's sake. But the thing of the matter is this, Isaac listened to the same voice. And he kept the same charge that his father Abraham had kept. It isn't flamboyant. It isn't overly impressive. It's not like, wow, look, an altar, a whale, well, and a tent. No, but it works. And it caused their generations to be as the stars of the sky and as the sands along the beach. How many blessings might I ask us this morning? Or how many perks have we reaped in our generation because somebody in the previous generation planted them and we just entered into their labors? Thank God for Abraham that builds an altar when God appears. Thank God for an Isaac that puts his tent and puts his wells where the presence of the Lord is. Don't overlook the Isaacs because we cannot reap a harvest without entering into their type of labors. Building altars, pitching tents, and digging wells. It doesn't seem very glorious, but it's very needful and necessary not just for our generation, but for generations to come. As a matter of fact, it may seem ordinary to some, but the dividend are compounded from generation to generation. I thank God. I thank God for a junior and an Irene Weisenberger that knew how to build an altar where the presence of God was. I thank God for a Theopolis and an Emma McGee that knew how to surround their family where God's presence was. I thank God. What is that? That somebody in a former generation that learned the art of just giving up. My life's not my own. It belongs to you. My kids' life, they belong to to you. We dedicated them to God and in God's hands is where they're going to stay. We give them to you. Our work, our livelihood, all that matters concerning that, we give it to God. That doesn't seem like very much. It doesn't seem like anything fantastic. It may seem very ordinary, but the dividends are compounded from generation to generation as they were in my parents' generation and now in my generation and I hope in my kids' generation why someone learned the art early of surrendering and giving up everything unto God. The old they they tell me and I've read stories of the old missionaries of old that went to foreign lands to spread the gospel to go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature I've read the stories of some of those old missionaries they get over there on the opposite shore many times traveling by ship and they just have a few possessions and most of those possessions brother trout are contained inside of a coffin that coffin is their coffin what they did was put their life's possessions in their coffin that they would one day be buried in. And this was their, this was their, 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 their thought process concerning that. When I reach that land to evangelize and to preach, I don't plan to go back home. I'm gonna die right here. And they learned the art of giving up for the sake, the ministry, the life for the purpose of the Lord. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. In Jacob's generation, The Bible says that he served Laban for 20 years. For 14 years, he worked for Laban's two daughters, Rachel and Leah, seven years apiece. For six years, he worked for his flock's the Bible says that whenever Jacob speaks to Laban, he says, Laban, you have changed my wages ten times. It just means basically, even maybe not a literal ten, but several times, you have changed my wages. I've been taken advantage of. You gave me Leah. When I thought I was getting Rachel, I woke up in the morning after, after Marian and after the honeymoon and realized it was Leah I got instead of Rachel. All these things have happened. But this is what Jacob says in Genesis thirty-one forty-two except the God, this is Jacob now, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and note this, and the fear of Isaac had been with me. Surely thou hast sent me away now empty. God hath seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yester night. It's interesting because Jacob says, if it had not been for the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and he doesn't go on and say the God of Isaac, but he says in the fear of Isaac, he said, if it had not been for them, then you would have sent me away empty. I wouldn't even have the livestock, and I wouldn't even have the goods that I have under my hand right now, but because of the fathers before me, God has seen my Affliction. Jacob is basically saying, let me tell you about the faithfulness of my fathers. Let me tell you about the faithfulness of my fathers. Corinthians tells us, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Isaac saying, let, Jacob saying, let me tell you about the faithfulness of my father, Abraham, and the fear of my father, Isaac. Let me tell you about the worth of a man that knew the art of surrendering in Every area of his life, family and work and worship. I, I may have faltered and I may have given in. I'm telling you right now, I may have done it while I was under the hand of Laban, had it not been known the secret of surrender to my affliction that I was going through. I learned that from my father. I learned that from my grandfather. And since dad taught me what to give up to, it's kept me from giving in to lesser things. That's a principle we need to hold on to. When you learn to give up to God, you'll learn not, you'll learn what not to give into. We're giving in to some things we never need to give ourselves into. We're offering ourselves up to other things we never need to give ourselves up to. I'll tell you why. Because we never understood or practiced the art of surrender totally and thoroughly unto God. Amen. The Bible says, look at it again in verse 53 of the same verse The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge betwixt us. And Jacob swear, here he goes again, by the fear of his father Isaac. He says, I swear by the fear of my father, Isaac. What, what are you referencing, Jacob? Tell you what I believe Jacob is referencing in both of these cases. And this is the only time in the scripture you see the line, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the one concerning the God of Isaac is not the God of Isaac, but the fear of Isaac. Two times in the same chapter, the fear of Isaac. I believe Jacob is referring back again to that first altar that Isaac ever knew which was the altar that his father laid him on, bound him on, had the wood stacked, ready to take his, his son's own life at the age of 37 years old. But that boy was willing, and he gave himself up to it and would say those words, bind me tightly, Father, so that I don't tremble. I believe that's exactly what Jacob was referring to. Had it not been for my dad's act of surrender. He said, I would not be where I am today. And you can stand with me. I'll come to a close. At this moment in time, Jacob is headed back home. He he, He's went under the cover of night. He's headed back home with Leah and Rachel and their handmaidens and their children and all their goods and livestock. And God has been so good to them. And as he's headed back home, Laban overtakes him. He's a little upset because nothing was said about him leaving. His daughters are going with him and he's a little upset and have an opportunity to say goodbye. The Bible says at this place where they met that they set up a heap of stones. They set up a pillar as a witness between Laban and between Jacob and their plea to one another was this. Now you will not pass by this heap of stones. Jacob is saying to Laban, you will not pass by this heap of stones to me, nor will I pass by this heap of stones unto you. God will be the judge between us. And he's telling him in verse 53, and I swear by the fear of my father, by the trembling of my father, if I may, I I swear by the, the, the surrender of my father that it will not happen. Because the trembling of my father was the trembling of a surrendered man. He has no outstanding achievements. There is no awards on his tent door, according to most. He says, but this is a man that has been a faithful steward in the essentials of knowing how and what to give up. And because of that quality of giving up, He says, I'm telling you today, I can make a covenant with you today based upon the heritage of a father that knew how to give up and taught me when to give up and what to give up. And at the same time, teaching me that my family and my work and my worship. needs to be centered around where the presence of God is and where God speaks and where God ministers. And I follow that pattern. Thank God for Abraham. Thank God for the fear, the trembling, the surrender of Isaac because it's made me Jacob, the man that I am today because I have been taught the art of giving up. If we bow our heads in this place this morning, God still is looking for people. That will become proficient in the art of giving up, in the art of surrender. I want to surrender my life. I want to surrender my home, my family. I want to surrender every aspect, every component of my life unto the Lord. When I look through Scripture, I truly understand these things that I have, these things that I've, I've gained. They're really not mine. I am a steward. I'm just a manager. I am a steward over everything that, that supposedly I have in my life. It all belongs unto the Lord. And so I want to build my family and the things, the livelihood of the things that I have and my own worship around his presence. And his power. I want my altar to be close to my family. And I want my family to be close to my altar. I want my altar to be close to my my, my work. And I want my work to be close to my altar. And if I'll keep those things in close proximity to each one, then I know they'll all be influenced, affected by the presence and the power of God that appears to us and that speaks to us, that it will guide, that it will direct, and that it will instruct as long as I keep these things in their proper placement, totally surrendered unto the Lord, totally given up, if you will, unto the Lord. Can we lift our hands and talk to God right now as we come to the closure in this service? Father, I come to you today. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for your many blessings. I thank you, Lord Jesus, today, God, that you have helped us. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown up in our lives and you have made yourself known. You have spoken and we have felt your presence many times. God, let that be the place where we worship. Let that be the place that we pull our families and our tent Lord close around I pray oh God and our livelihood where, where wells are dug help us Lord Jesus let that be a location God where we live and where we move and where we have our very being I pray oh Lord today will not fail you Lord will not, we'll not forget God that total surrender is what you have asked of us and that there is a blessing in it God that there is Lord a propagating of all things well Lord Jesus in it when we learn that principle when we learn that task, Lord, of giving everything we are and have over into the hands of a righteous God, a God that is gracious and loving and considerate. Lord, we will not forget and we will not, Lord, deny you. Lord Jesus, we want to surrender to you. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen. Amen. There is no service tonight. There is Connect Group on Wednesday. Hallelujah. Services will be here on Sunday uh, Two will be here next Sunday. Amen. So come and be a part of those. Please have a safe 4th of July weekend with your friends and your family. Amen. And may the Lord bless you as you continue to surrender and surrender your lives. Amen. Around the presence of God. God bless you this morning in Jesus name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.